Hey guys, welcome. I'm your host, Andrew French. Today we have a special guests, Ben and Maggie from Greenlight Farm. These guys are kicking it real style in rural western Wisconsin where literally nobody is farming flowers probably within four to five hundred thousand miles radius. That's an exaggeration, but let's say there's not that many farmers out here that grow beautiful, organic, sustainable flowers. They don't use any chemicals like everybody else does in the whole world. Maggie was telling me a little bit ago that uh, most of the flowers in the most of the flowers that you buy in America are from somewhere else, some other continent. So can you imagine that? All these miles in between you and your, where your flowers are grown, it adds up to tons, tons of CO2 um, emissions. And what we do is we just shrug it off. We say, whatever, no big deal. I don't care. I want my flowers. I want my roses. I want my various flowers. And um, But instead of uh, doing that, what you can do is you can go to your your local flower farm that's raising flowers without using any chemicals, with using local labor, using their own bodies, using the soil that's from our region. And you can go ahead and buy flowers from those guys. Maybe instead of buying flowers that have been on a plane and been shipped over here from Holland or Argentina or some, or, or Alaska. I have no idea. I have no idea where any of the flowers come from. Um, but Maggie and Ben do, and they are here to talk about it. They are awesome. They've been, they've been farming sort of full time for like three some years now on a piece of new land that they, they bought recently. And, um, so they're going to be here and they're going to tell you a little bit about all that. And I think it's going to be awesome. And we're going to go into anything that comes to mind. So stick around and listen, make notes. If you're interested in starting your own flower farm, then Maggie is a wealth of knowledge. Um, but you, you can't do it. These guys can do it. You're not going to be able to do it. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you the truth. No. What these guys are doing is awesome, radical, in that it's centered on in the root of being here in this area and growing what people want right here in the dirt. And that is their dirt path. So let's get into it. Why I don't exactly call it work. You know what work is? You don't. Why work's doing something you have to do. When you're doing something that you want to do, like to do, that's play. between the voices we imagine historical figures had and the voices mm -hmm. they actually had like Abraham Lincoln right had mm -hmm. kind of a goofy voice and Stalin had a kind of a goofy mm -hmm. voice so somebody on reddit was just asking like who else had a goofy voice but then part of the answer is everybody beyond a certain period the recording technology was such they couldn't pick up the bass in it so everybody had kind mm -hmm. of a tinny voice so it's hard to say all right we're started so we start out with that <laughs> um, so, uh, how are you guys doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. 
doing good. <laughs> All right. Um, so tell me a little bit about your farm, how long you've had it, how many acres you have, what you do. We are Greenlight Farm. I'm Maggie. I'm Ben. Uh, our total farm is 120 <clears throat> acres. Um, we grow about an acre of perennials currently, and we've got about two acres of annuals in production this year, a quarter acre of which are under plastic in hoop houses and greenhouses. Um, we grow exclusively cut flowers that we sell throughout Western Wisconsin and the Twin Cities area, primarily to florists and also directly to customers. Well, we've been doing it four years now. Our first year was kind of an experimental half vegetables, half flowers, but we've been steadily increasing the flowers and decreasing the vegetables um, since then. So we do grow veg, but it's just for us for canning and trading and things of that nature. Cool. And uh, so how come you guys went from vegetables into flowers? Well, there's several, I think several pieces to it. Um, one, we were trying to find a niche that that um, was a little bit different from what other people were doing. Um, we've got lots of lots of friends that are also vegetable farmers and um, didn't want to be competing directly with them. Uh, another factor is the flowers are lightweight. Um, so we don't, it's not like carrying, you know, buckets, bushels of uh, beets, potatoes, or squash every day. It's a uh, easier on the soil and easier on our backs. Um, I don't know, what do you think, Maggie? Yeah, well, our first year we were half vegetables and half flowers, and we were on a really small scale, but when we were going to a farmer's market or whatever the sales outlet would be, um, the flowers were clearly more of the draw. Um, it was the, the Thing that we we ended up spending more time on and also the, the thing that we were making more money on and um sorry i'll get closer probably have to sorry now i'm babbling and you'll have to cut <laughs> this shit out uh, um so when we first started growing flowers i was a little bit unsure about it um for reasons I thought it was frivolous to grow something that was just ornamental, um, but I started reading more about the global cut flower industry. Uh, currently, about 80% um, of all flowers sold in the United States are imported, mostly from uh, South America, Colombia, Ecuador, etc. Some from Africa, some from uh, the Netherlands. And of the 20% grown in the United States, about 75% of that is from California and most of the cut flowers that are available in the United States are uh, just covered in a lot of, uh, lot of chemicals and, uh, and also just on the, from the human rights perspective, a lot of the labor in um, the South America is women, sometimes child labor. There's a lot of just really kind of bad things happening in that industry. So I thought that growing cut flowers, even though it is an ornamental, could be a way to provide habitat for pollinators, um, beneficial insects, just wildlife in general, 
and also reduce the environmental footprint dramatically of the crop that we are bringing to local markets. So, And we've got a mental health issue here in this country that we're uh, helping to solve the soul food, right, making mm -hmm. people happy. Tell me more about this mental health issue. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got going on? What do you talk? Yours or, or other people? Oh no, no, like just we're just making people happy. Oh, right on. Yeah. Cool. So actually, um, before you decided, hey, I'm gonna do flowers, before you even did vegetables, did you guys get some experience somewhere to learn how to do any of this? And actually what moved you to get that experience in the first place? I don't think Ben had much experience with flowers prior to this. Um, I worked on a farm called Bartlett's Farm on Nantucket Island, Massachusetts, which was a fairly large um, family farm that grew uh, vegetables, herbs, and cut flowers. And I was part of a, my, my role in the field crew was specifically working with a couple other women and we, um, had just a few crops that we were focused on harvesting and flowers is one of them so throughout the summer months there I was cutting and arranging flowers every day and really enjoyed really enjoyed working with them so but a lot of it when we started doing it on our own was learn as we go learn the hard way there are a lot of people getting into flower farming now uh, but there were a lot less four years ago, so. Yeah, tell me about this, uh, the people that are getting into flower farming now. What, what's making, what do you think is driving that? Inspiration from Instagram and Instagram. idealism about the beauty of the life of growing flowers. So is that the case though? Are you having an idealistic, idyllic, beautiful life without any problems right now? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think anybody who, um, I mean, it's the life we choose, this is the life we choose. And so we're not, we're not complaining about it, but we choose a life that's full of challenges every day and hard work every single day. And I think, um, anybody who's, who's uh, serious about farming is, is jumping into that same lifestyle where it's it's a lot of work and it's not near as glamorous as a couple of photos a day can make it seem yeah so i think i think there's a lot of disillusionment about what what farming actually is on a day-to-day -day basis um people that want to or imagine like stopping to watch the butterflies and um, yeah how, how much time do you allocate <laughs> per day to, to watch butterflies and how much time that you do you wish that you did 10 seconds versus, I'm not sure what my ideal butterfly watching <laughs> I mean, time I, would be. I think I could only watch a butterfly for about three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think that on the one hand, flower farming is an industry where there's a lot of room for growth because of the kind of stats I was talking about earlier. There's um, a lot, there's just a lot of room for growth in this, in this field. There's a lot of increasing demand for local flowers and actually the growth of kind of the Instagram celebrity of um, flower farming has on the one hand helped uh, con consumer awareness and desire for local flowers but I also 
think that it's unfortunate that a lot of people might get into this thinking it's one thing and then coming to a kind of a hard reality when they realize it's 90% mud, blood, dirt, mosquitoes, weeds, weeds and Nats. 10% beautiful flowers. So, uh, like, what do you, what do you think of, um, so what do you think of this, uh, Instagram world? Like, what is your approach toward this social media endeavor? It seems like a lot of people are working very hard on their social media, um, the, that end of the business whereas like are you you know are you focused more on you're obviously focused more on the practical end of it but do you do you dabble into the social media are you working on it do you want to build a following i'll answer that because i do all of our social media things for the farm so <coughs> social media is really important for us um instagram specifically uh although i would say on instagram our followers there are uh in general younger uh, some are local, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are other flower farms or some of the florists that we sell to. We follow each other on Instagram, things like that. Versus Facebook, our followers there are more more local, in general a bit older. But in both cases, because flowers are so visual um, and your people are buying them with their eyes and their feelings. And so we need to connect to their eyes and their emotions with our social media um, and kind of grab their attention that way. So we do actually get um, you know, business and more recognition from social media. It's really important. And um, I know sh- uh, social media can become kind of shallow and kind of empty, um, but I actually really enjoy social media increasingly the more engaged our followers are with us. I really I really enjoy more and more that aspect of running the business and connecting with people that way. And I try to have a balance of sharing things that are beautiful, but also telling the, it's, it's our way to be in control of telling the story of our farm and sharing things that are good and also sometimes sharing things that are bad and trying to be increasingly more honest with people that follow us there. And in a way too, like you only have a certain amount of... Um time with other people because you're so busy on the farm and so social Mm -hmm. media can be kind of well a social thing you know Mm -hmm. and because otherwise you have farm work and you do deliveries and everything becomes all uh you know selling or buying buying or selling Mm -hmm. it's all economic and social media actually in my perspective can be a little bit of a uh like a sharing you know kind of it, it, it for a lot of people it seems like it's more shallow but you know for farmers it actually seems like a way to connect to people like real like really you know so i kind of get a little bit of a i kind of am irritated with farmers who are doing it in a kind of well let's say uh gentlemen farmers who are doing it and just like oh uh we have lots of money from a different job and here's this beautiful farm because like a lot of farmers have uh, don't have this other job that makes a lot of money and they're, they're just kind of struggling and their farm looks like shit, you know? Like, mm-hmm. my, my farm looks like shit a lot. Pigs don't make a farm that looks really beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, except when they're not on a piece of grass and then when they go onto it, then you film them for 10 minutes, that's it. That's the only good part of yeah. that. You know, it's only pretty Instagrammable part of that thing. So, I mean, would you say that's kind of your experience as well? Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. And 
although I was just saying that I try to share, you know, more, I try to be as honest as I can on social media. Of course, we're choosing to highlight the things that we're proud of or that look pretty or we're taking photos in the right light or we're being selective about what we're sharing. And I mean, we're both farming full time starting last. So our first two years, Ben was working full time off, off from home, but off farm. But the last two years, the farm is our only source, our primary source of income. So we don't have time to make our farm look pretty because our farm is how we earn our living. So we have to prioritize function over aesthetics on the farm. So you're just saying you're you're just, you're just hanging out there listening to NPR 24/7, seating, talk, calling in, and just yelling at the host. God damn America! Is that what you're doing? <laughs> For the record, that is not exactly what, what I had was just saying. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of so there's a lot of alone time though. I know last year you guys were getting um, you had a lot of stuff going on. So there was like a there's like a a tornado. It's a lot of hardships. Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about the tornado, like how, how that kicked you in the ass. Was that, what year was that? That even? was two years ago. That was, so two years ago. It was? Um, I thought that was last year. Are you sure it wasn't last year? It was 2000, May 16th, 2017. Oh, because, yeah. Okay, I gotcha. But it had long-term effects. So, yeah, it, uh, it uh, took us by surprise that um, May, what, six, 16th, whatever, um, and we debated in the hours immediately after we debated, uh, abandoning ship briefly, but then... What kind of ship? Abandoning the whole abandoning ship? Abandoning farm. <laughs> abandoning farm ship? <laughs> Off farm jobs. Yeah. Um, because our, our greenhouse, so at that point, everything was in our greenhouse. We hadn't transplanted anything yet. And what about a third of everything in our greenhouse was destroyed, as far as the plants. Um, Damn. And we also lost our greenhouse. So the rain is continuing to come. It's cold. The low that night was cold. The low that week, the lows that week were cold. We had our last frost of the year the next day. Yeah. So everything was about to die. Um, and. Yeah, it was just going to be a lot of work to get back to where we were a day ago. I think that would be a good, um, just like a name for a, a movie about a farm. Everything was about to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything is just one uh, bad day away from dying all the time. <laughs> oh, man. Uh. But um, we never considered abandoning the whole ship, as in like the farm the forever. Season, but we we considered mm. calling that season yeah, off, yeah, yeah. and just we we weren't sure if we'd be able to pick up the pieces enough to have anything to sell that year. But several things happened. Um, Mike and Patty, we ended up right. Um, they ended up uh, their neighbors down the road there. That yeah. Um, so yeah farmer friends a couple miles away that have a greenhouse offered to um babysit as many plants as we could bring over and they could fit in their greenhouse to keep alive for us which was a lot and then some uh, uh we had quite a few flats that we built little uh we all our greenhouse tables we put tarps on top of and stuck our plants stuck our plants underneath and uh built little forts for them mm -hmm. um but it was 
It was a. It did some other damage too. It it knocked over uh, ten acres of woods. Um, it blew off some roof of our pole barn. It uh, flipped over a little project I'd been work greenhouse project I'd been working on. To be more specific, Ben had just completed building a small glass greenhouse that we were planning to use. And so panes of glass broke all over the farm and oh, you'll man. still find pieces of glass uh, all, all over the place. Yeah, so. what, what was the idea with the, the glass? Well, it wasn't an idea until we discovered as we're dismantling a log barn that we that was on our property that um, had collapsed before, so it had collapsed uh, two years before we moved onto the property. So this is one of those aesthetic things that w at first we we're like, we should care about aesthetics and we should we should tear this down, but it still remains. This log barn is the footprint is still there. But anyway, we're working on dismantling it, and we discovered uh, fifty panes of um, uh, double double pane insulated glass. It's like, oh, what nice. are we gonna do with that? And uh, greenhouse seemed like the obvious choice. But I'll never build a glass greenhouse again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it, that kind of touched on this this idea of like, you guys sort of wouldn't have survived that year without a community. Having a community of sorts that supports you guys. Um, what do you guys how how important do you think community is in a small in the small farming world yeah i think community is just about everything uh you know we've we've met other small farmers that don't have this kind of community and i think even when you have this this sense of community even when you know that there's people out there within 10, 20 miles that are like-minded that can help you, that you can share, have camaraderie with. Even when you know that, it's still so easy to get isolated on your own farm during the season and just get completely caught up in your own little world and think that your farm is literally everything and you can't see beyond the stress of your little, your little bubble. Um, but yeah, I mean, even before the tornado and especially during and after it and, and since, um, we're, we know that we're lucky to have so many small farms in the area, a lot of like-minded people, people who are always willing to to lend a hand. Um, you know, we've had several times where we needed to pull plastic on greenhouses. For example, after the tornado, when we were repairing our greenhouse, and then since when we've put up new greenhouses, we've never had trouble getting groups of people to come out and help us with that. And anytime we need anything, really, there's always somebody willing to lend a hand and barter or trade or just help out. What, okay, so let's go into like some other, like, so, uh, Investments. What do you guys think is like one of the core investments of like a beginning farmer? What what should they look for? Since you've been doing this for a few years now, uh, you probably have a good idea. Of like, what should a beginning farmer invest in? Even if you yourself haven't invested in it because you can't or something, mm -hmm. like you probably have an idea. Like, oh, mm -hmm. get this thing or whatever, or do something like this. You know what I mean? 
I think a, yeah. to me a couple of things are necessary. It depends on the crop you're growing or the you know whatever type of farming you're into. But but um, for us, we've never regretted a hoop house or a greenhouse. Um, then again, we've always bought them used. With one exception, was a federal grant. So um, at the used prices, we've never regretted. Um, getting more plastic to put things under to protect them. Um, also, uh, having a, a tractor with the tools necessary to do bed prep. Like, I've known beginning farmers who haven't had that, and it's definitely possible, but the freedom to be able to do that when we want to, when the weather allows, without relying on borrowing from somebody, that's pretty, pretty uh, nice. Would you uh, invest, if you could, would you invest in a new new tractor that didn't break down? I mean, I know I would. <laughs> I, I think if, if you gave me the, the um, cash that a new tractor um, costs... So I, would, I just gave you twenty thousand dollars. You would get a tractor. No, I would buy. I would buy three used tractors. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I'd like to That's have. Cool. Yeah, I and and Megan and I might. Dis- yeah, well, we what do would you? Dis- I would buy one nice tractor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea of having. You know, if if you've got three used tractors, you can keep one running at all times. So we find a schism in between the male and the female <laughs> concepts of what technology is all about, right? <sighs> Because I was thinking, like with me here, I would like to have my girlfriend use a tractor occasionally if she needs to, mm-hmm. to like say, I don't know, mow her own trail, right? Uh, no old tractor mm. would work for her in that regard. I, w- I would want a new one, uh, as new as possible, just like, you know, like speak to it and drives itself, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But you were also talking, <laughs> Maggie, about the, the newer tractor that you drove on that would just shut off because you're too light. Yeah, it had a feature where if it didn't sense enough weight on the seat, it would just shut off. And I wasn't physically large enough to, I I couldn't, my legs weren't long enough to shift (laughs) gears and keep enough weight on the seat at the same time. So old fat tractors that have no safety features are a plus in that specific situation. No matter what happens, the fucker will keep going, (laughs) even if it goes over you and grinds you up and stuff. So that's cool. Um, my advice for ad- investment would be investing in education. I think, and I'm going to say this for, for flower farming specifically because uh, just because I've known, I, I hear about flower farmers who are getting into this with no, not much experience, maybe not any education going into it. So I would say educate yourself, whether it be going to work or even volunteer on another farm or reading books or watching seminars or specifically in the cut flower world there's the association for specialty cut flower growers the ASCFG Uh, becoming a member of that gives you access to a a whole lot of information and resources so I would say just do do your research Um, and also just sit and think about I think what many farmers don't do and should do is think about what kind of life you want and how your farm can fit into that life instead of the other way around because for us and from a lot of farmers I know you start a farm and you prioritize the farm at all costs personal financial or otherwise and it takes a couple of years to recognize that that's not sustainable 
And so I wish that I, well, maybe someone did tell me this and I just probably mm -hmm. didn't listen because I'm stubborn and work too hard all the time. But I wish that I'm just now starting to listen to myself with that same advice. So have there been, uh, in the last five years, have there been any like new or last three to five years or whatever, have there been any new realizations as you build the farm business up? Any new realizations, kind of just tying in with the last question of, uh, like, one thing I thought uh, before has now completely changed almost, like, 180 degrees or whatever, like that amount? I wouldn't say that for me personally because uh, I worked on several other farms before starting my own. And, of course, it's totally different when you're running your own different set of challenges but I sort of knew what I was getting myself into, and I think Ben did too. I think we came into this with a pretty realistic idea of what, how much, how much money we would have, and what our general lifestyle would be like. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. We both, I think we both probably had uh, ideas about what farming, small-scale farming, vegetable farming, was like before we worked on vegetable farms. Like, how deluded do you think you were before? After working on it, like you think, oh my God, I was uh, so deluded, you know? When I was in high school, <laughs> when I knew nothing about farming, I dismissed it completely as an occupation. I thought that it would be extremely boring. I thought that it was like extremely calendar based. Mm -hmm. Like my naive assumption was that you look at the date or something and when it's this date, you plant your seeds. <laughs> And then you wait for some weather, and then when it's this date, you uh, weed, and then you spread your chemical. Like, I, I thought, I mean, it, and, and conventional farming is to a degree like that, but it's so much more complex, and it's so yeah. much more uncertain. And, and I think the thing that I didn't understand about farming was how unpredictable and how, how, um, how much of a challenge it is to approach each year to figure out how to plant the same seeds and grow the same crops you know it's different every year and there's there's uh new things you learn and and it's a lot more exciting than i thought i guess one thing that has surprised that has been a bit surprising to me or i don't know if surprising is even the right word but I wouldn't say that I'm surprised, but I would say that we when we started the farm we had no idea which what directions it would take us and so last year in year three was the first year that our farm made a profit and we decided to scale up. Now in year four, uh, our business is definitely growing. It's the first time we've hired employees and it seems, seems that demand is exceeding our supply. So we're kind of at a point where we need to decide in the future, do we scale up more? Uh, you know, what, what do we want to do? How do we want our business to grow? And uh, as, as our business grows more and more, the thing that is kind of the growing pains we're experiencing is the more our business grows the less time I me specifically been to but me specifically the the less time I actually spend doing what you think of as farming because I'm spending more and more time doing deliveries and on the phone and talking on the phone or emailing with customers or working on our or doing social media or working on our store um, online and doing all these kind of behind the scenes things uh, and just getting our products to customers uh, more so than doing what I fell in love with originally about farming which is having my hands in the dirt and actually doing the farm labor 
So that's a bit, I guess, not surprising, but it's something that I'm having to come to terms with as part of the growth of our business. So going back to something you said earlier, I just remembered um, you're talking about how things are growing to the point now. So you guys are 100% full-time farmers, uh, so much so that you're not able to do as much actual farming as you'd like to do in the dirt farming. Um, what uh, and you, what you have more demand than you can actually fulfill. Um, wh why do you think that is? Uh, like, how how did that come to be? From like, let's just say, like within these few years, like I know a lot of people do a lot of farming, and within a few years, all of a sudden you went from okay, I think we're going to do this flower thing to having more demands than you can actually know what to do with. You know what I mean? You got some. One thing, one, one factor is just that we have spent so much time and energy actively seeking customers, um, whether it be... Hustle. We've been hustling, yeah. The big hustle. The big hustle, <laughs> whether it be through social media or physically showing up at, at people's doors with flowers, samples of flowers in hand, and introducing ourselves. We have put a lot of miles on our vehicles and spent so many hours just exhaustively seeking customers. And it's just took a long time, but it's, I mean, I guess it hasn't been a long time, but it felt like a long time, a lot of effort. And it's just, I think, finally paying off and getting to the point where we can put less effort because kind of the, the rock is starting to roll down the hill on its own. I think another factor is the um, diversity of flowers that we can grow, the, the, um, the quality that we can provide and the um, types of flowers that we can grow that is so much greater than what can be shipped. I think a lot of okay. florists are used to sort of a gamble every time they order flowers, like are they gonna come, you know, wilted? Are they gonna, are they gonna be flattened by the shipping process? Um, and, and they're limited in the varieties and, and I think it's it's kind of a um, the, the flower, it, it's a um, interesting time to be in this business right now because there's so much interest in like what can we grow and what what does last in a vase and what um, there's a lot of exploration right now on that front yeah that ties into um I was just going to ask, you know, why don't people seek out more local flower farmers? And like, you know, there's there's not a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. So, but why do you think people are just like, oh, here's some flowers here. I'm just going to grab them. Why don't, you know, is it, do you think that um, people are getting to that point where they're, they are seeking out local flower farmers more like they're seeking out local food? Is that happening right now? I think that is happening. I think it's much farther behind the local food movement. I think in terms of local and also like organic, people don't think about it as much because they're not putting it in their mouths. Um, so they don't recognize Some the people importance aren't, of that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, also, you're selling, you're trying to sell edible flowers. Yes, we are selling edible flowers. But in general, we we've, we uh, we've just are selling things that aren't meant to be eaten. But, <laughs> but for example, there's like American Grown Flowers is like an organization. And there's the Association for Specialty Cut Flower Growers. There's Slow Flowers. There's... Um, uh, 
there's a woman who runs that organization. She has a podcast that's really great. So there's the Slow Flowers movement. There's you know hashtags on Instagram, grown not flown. Specifically in our area, there's the Twin Cities Flower Exchange in Minneapolis, which is a local chemical-free wholesale flowers market that buys from various local growers in Minnesota and Wisconsin and is uh, providing like, a wholesale market where florists and designers can come. So there's uh, nationally and specifically in our region, I think a growing awareness of and demand for local flowers, but it's far behind the local food movement without a doubt. Cool. Um, are you guys, um, do you think, how, how important is reading to you guys uh like the internet books are you guys readers are you guys big readers <laughs> maggie is certainly a big reader in all in all genres and senses of the word um i used to be a reader i think to me having access i mean if you're th like in respect to flower farming reading is uh uh i, I don't really I just look things up, right? Like we have we have books where I can look up uh, information, and that's that's all I do. For me, for instance, like if I hadn't read Elliot Coleman, um, was it the Master Gardener, Master mm. Farmer, whatever? That book is like the book that's like, oh, you can probably do this. You buy a rototiller, you buy property, you grow cabbage, boom, 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 boom. Uh, so easy, yeah. you know. And also, it's beautiful, and it's New England, and you're wonderful you have on patagonia gear it's just mm. perfect right and everything he says is true and a lie at the same time somehow mm. so like you know but it did inspire me and other there's another book that was a large very big book about a couple that tried to farm again in new england and um uh well actually i think they <laughs> split up at the end there so it wasn't exactly a positive book but it was a realistic book like it was the first one i was like oh wow this could be a very satisfying thing but also a scary thing uh and you know an intense thing um but i mean do you have books that like inspired you maybe and mm -hmm. not just like reference books like here's how you know these various flowers perform and soils and stuff but like are there books that like got you to this point mm -hmm. where you know you're like i'm gonna be like that mm -hmm. Not, not really for me, to be honest. Um, I did not have much interest in farming until I um, happened to end up working on a farm in Ecuador for nine months. And then it was, that was my, that was my head first dive into it. And then I was like, hey, this is kind of, this is kind of cool. Uh, can I keep doing this? So as that was sort of the inspiration for me. And I never did. I'm familiar with a lot of the books, but I've I've often read the first chapter or two of, of a number of the farm memoir type or you know how to farm type books, and then I, I fizzle out. Like Salatin stuff, like Joel yeah. Salatin. Yeah, a lot of those. I like Michael Pollan quite a bit. It's not quite into like the nitty gritty of farming, but I like his no. I like his wordplay, his uh, exploration of things but yeah i read a lot um and i i have read a lot of books about farming whether they be more memoir or like things about the farming industry as a whole 
uh, food systems or we have a lot of books on our bookshelf at home that are about homesteading stuff or flowers specifically but I would say that the books came after the experience I would say when I was in when I was uh, in college I had a summer job at this it was a corn primarily a sweet corn farm and they had a corn maze and it was kind of a farm marketplace as well it's kind of a tourist destination it was right it was um this was in ohio it was um in Cuyahoga valley national park um it was it was a gorgeous place um and i, I had a summer job there and i worked six sometimes seven days a week uh very frequently 11 12 hour shifts it was my first time just doing just labor just working and I fell in love with the combination of mental and physical exertion and I just loved working hard I loved how well I slept after a day like that um so I kind of got hooked I kind of got addicted to that feeling of just using your brain and your body um and I would say I started reading, actively seeking out farm books after I was already interested in farming otherwise. Okay. Anything specific or books-wise that really got your goat? Also, any mm. nature books, you know, like anything that got you guys into, like, I, I love nature. I want to I wanna work in nature. Because a lot of farmers I talk to, like, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the actual core, uh, the core feeling is, like, they want to go back live within nature you know it doesn't even matter how so much is like in general sometimes farming becomes the de facto like farming will be the work i do because i love to work with nature you know what Mm. i mean is that something you guys would say that agrees with your philosophy or is it more like i enjoy farming so nature is there (laughs) i don't know it's tough i i totally get what you're saying and i i i I, yeah i think uh i really fell in love with farming like i I love, I've always loved, I grew up in the country, um, so I've lived rurally most of my life, and I've always loved going for walks in the woods and being outside, but I, I, I would say I just fell in love with the work, um, and being out in nature is a nice bonus. Yeah, me, me too, I think. It's the, it's the work, um, and it's also the independence and the self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. I think we're both... We're, we're similar minded in like if if we didn't have to earn a living I think we'd be doing something similar but it'd just be a whole lot more homesteady um, mm-hmm. like that's that's our dream is not to is not to stop working hard but it's just we, we just want to be working hard for ourselves out there and yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I think I I probably did maybe not so much through a specific book or books, but in addition to just loving working hard, I, I would say I fell in love with the idea of yeah of like kind of like Ben said, being more self sufficient. Um, of like on the one hand, like being my own boss, but then on the other hand, even though we grow flowers for our business now, we grow a lot of vegetables for ourselves, and we have a lot of uh, perennial fruit trees and berries planted, and we like the idea of as as the years go by of being more self-sufficient on our farm yeah speaking of falling in love how did you guys meet how'd you guys uh fall in love and start uh planting seeds as it were (laughs) on a farm while transplanting broccoli across from each other Ooh, broccoli 
it's a sexy great, broccoli. It's a great place to meet people. We we've joked there should be like dating. Uh, so not a meat we, market, no. but weed, it's weed dating instead of speed dating. Weed dating. Yeah, yeah. yeah right it's on. like somebody it, start weed dating. Yeah, it's like you've got like however much time you're across from somebody on a bed, and then uh, and then you have to get up and like leapfrog to somebody new. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So years ago, Ben was an intern on a farm called Foxtail Farm in Osceola, Wisconsin, and he worked with uh, a guy named Ariel Pressman, who went on to start his own farm called Seed to Seed Farm. So Ben moved to Minneapolis for a couple of years, and I went to work as an intern for Seed to Seed Farm. And that summer, um, Ben was still friends with a lot of the people that he'd worked with on Foxtail Farm, and he'd come out to help out and hang out and and pull weeds or plant broccoli. And so I was there working, and he came to help and hang out and... I was a poor worker that day because I was very busy discussing politics and philosophy with Ben instead of working hard. We were reprimanded. (laughs) (laughs) So love got in the way of your work. Is love getting in the way of your work now? And if so, how do you just jump over that hurdle? How do you get, how do you push love aside so that you can get work done? start a farm as a pragmatic person with another very pragmatic person. Yeah, it'll just let itself out in the door. There you go. We, like, never take pictures together. Like wall farming. We got, oh yeah, wall farming. Yeah, like on the one farm. One contrived situation where we're <laughs> carrying arbitrary buckets. Yeah. Oh yeah. What yeah. about like uh, um, I got you guys or you got you got married on the farm, right? So mm-hmm. where are all those pictures? We do have photos from that day. But that doesn't count as it like cute as actual hell. natural farming. We should photos. have gone out and like right. weeded a little bit in our <laughs> wedding clothes. Yeah. That would have been. A good you should picture. have, and I reprimand you guys for that, <laughs> for not doing that, because that would have been cool looking. The only day we've been clean on our farm ever. <laughs> the one day. The night before the whatever, what's that day called? The um, wedding dinner. The, the, oh, the. the I, I don't show. know. Can we edit that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it, this is this is raw. So, this is going on YouTube tonight. <laughs> oh, the rehearsal dinner, but rehearsal, we didn't rehearse rehearsal anything. Dinner. That's so what I was saying. We just had dinner. We were both pizza. We were both covered in dirt That's that true. day, though. Oh, like yeah. everybody else is a little bit dressed up, and we're yeah. just like filthy. <laughs> that happens for sure. Yeah, I wish we had a mud room. Yeah, mud room. We don't have that. You got a porch though. We, have, we do have a porch, but porch when room. it rains, it's not really that protected. Oh no. So everything gets wet. Isn't? No, if it depends on where the wind is coming from. Oh, but you're, I see. You're, if you put your boots out there, they will get soaking wet. In right. The yeah. Uh, when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, is there a, a thing that you do to help yourself, like, self-soothe or chill out or relax? Like, because I know, you know, farming can over overwhelm us all. All small business can, I think. But farming in particular, because it's not just a business, it's also everything's going to die or not die. Or what was the thing? What was the movie title? <laughs> All things will die at some point or whatever. Everything's going to die. Yeah. About to, about to a bad die. day away everything's from death. Everything's about to die. <laughs> yeah. um, but is there, yeah, is there something you guys do to like kind of like, uh, you know, 
help yourself. And if the answer is no, <laughs> I'm going to recommend <laughs> yeah. trying something else. We're, we're working on that actively. Um, last year, I would say, actually about this time last year, um, was probably the worst mental health time of my life. Me personally, I just, uh, I'm, not, I'm not very good at, at regulating. I just work and work and work and work and work. And I historically have not been good at taking time for myself and self-care or whatever you want to call it. But um, I'm actively working on that because when you, when I would allow my, my own stress and busyness to overwhelm me, it doesn't just stick with you. That shit boils over into other aspects of your life most specifically your relationship with your spouse or farm partner and other relationships in your life. So that is something that I'm actively working towards this this winter. Um, well, we had just a lot of conversations about this. Like we both worked way too hard last year, but I'm a more anxious person than Ben. So it, 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 I internalize that I think more and I don't process it as well. Are so you more anxious or do you just drink less beer? <laughs> 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 a combination both, both of both. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this this winter, I sat down and I made a quality of life to-do list for myself, um, and I'm doing I'm doing all right with it. And just this year in general, I'm being more self-aware of wow, I'm really tired today. I need to just go for a walk with the dogs and appreciate how beautiful this farm is because it is, and I don't notice it enough or I just need to like, I need to just sit down for a couple of hours. Um, I'm doing I'm doing much better at that. Also eating more regularly, frankly. Like I know that sounds really basic because we're humans and we need food to survive. But in the past, we let it slip. We don't eat real meals. We find ourselves eating microwave cheese bread and spoonfuls of peanut butter. So we're doing a better job this year. Last year was not a good year. We did not do a good job of taking care of ourselves. And we are very actively working towards a better quality of life now. <laughs> So what's at the top? What was at the top of your um, quality of life list, or what is that like an indicator of if your quality of life is up, good or bad? Or it was just like a to-do list. Like uh, for example, read fifty books in the year twenty nineteen. I'm at thirty three now. Was on my quality books? of life checklist. <laughs> I love to read, and I wow. don't read enough in the summer. And it's I, it's really healthy to read for me. Um, going for walks with the dogs on a regular basis. Um, I, I had on there specifically take one afternoon slash evening off per week, and I have only missed one week so far in doing that this season. Um, and a few other things too, but just um, just kind of just general like keeping tabs on the things that I know will dr dramatically improve my mental health. Right on. So how did you find this beautiful property that you can relax on? How did you get to it in the first place? Like, did you just walk around the neighborhood and look around? Or did you have like a real estate agent or, did, and like, what were the goals of the property? Like, oh, we're gonna, because you didn't know you're gonna do a flower farm, right? Mm -hmm. So we're looking at the property, you're just like, I want such and such and I need this and that. Yeah, we had a real estate agent, uh, Mark Cutter, um, great guy and he's he was recommended by small farm friends of ours who've um, 
I hired him in the past. Um, and it was, I think, the third property that we visited. Um, the first two had fatal flaws. Just three properties you visited? Just three. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, and, and we weren't on the property long before we knew that that's what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I can say, like, when I got to my property, it only took me 20 minutes, and I'm like, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was yeah. maybe, I mean, in my heart, but I didn't know that for sure, but, like, the next, I talked to, I had, I think I had my dad, a good friend, and another good friend all come to me, with me to here to make sure, you know, that it's the property. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so sorry I interrupted you, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, it's like when you know, you know, kind yeah. of, but... Well, we had a general checklist of, like, uh, overall, like, minimum amount of tillable acres and price and some other just, like, black and white factors like that. Not but being next to a highway. Not being next to a highway. Uh, I really, we both really wanted a wood stove. We wanted to be able to use wood as our primary heat source. And this, so, so the home that we live in is a log cabin that was originally built in 1904. Um, and it's kind of down in a valley, so you can't really see the road or any other houses. And we're also bordered on two sides by a thousand acres of county forest land. So it's kind of a bit, it's our own little world down there. And we love how quiet and private it is. I I grew up in a log home with a creek running through the backyard. And now we live in a log home with a creek running through the backyard. So a bit of nostalgia maybe built in there too. But we just, it fit our general checklist and we just loved it. We just knew we loved it. And it's a small house too. We weren't looking mm-hmm. for like a three bedroom uh, mansion or anything. Mm-hmm. Small house, small on house, big on land. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had a barn with a poured cement floor and we knew, no, like we didn't know mm-hmm. we were gonna grow flowers. We were originally thinking vegetables, but or even animals. But we knew that having a bar, a barn that was in good condition with a poured cement floor, would be valuable. With a water source inside of it, mm-hmm. we knew that would be valuable. However, whatever direction we went, so. for sure. Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a, pool barn with um, the sort of low cost concept around here is to put down carpet, you know, instead of cement, and that just mm-hmm. sucks. Cause you put a you can't you can't really put anything on it, and have it stay level. You know it's just mm-hmm. and then if like a gopher or a rat or something is underneath it, there'll be holes and it's it's yeah. nonsense. It's like it's not just low cost. It's low IQ, low IQ individuals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not to say anything about the people I bought this place from. If you're listening to this podcast, you're awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Like we really don't fight, tape but measures and leaving parties. tape measures and leaving parties. Exactly, that's the two situations where <laughs> it's like we're gonna oh we're gonna have a conflict. Tape so. measures and leaving parties <laughs> yeah. is what I'm gonna name the podcast. Uh, what the fuck about tape measures? Anytime we have to do a task on the farm that involves measuring something with a tape measure, literally 100% of the time, we're going to have a fight. Three for three, and they're (laughs) serious fights. They're like (laughs) as serious of fights as we've had. Um, 
three out of three times with like hundred foot tape measures trying to make a yeah. field square or something. And oh, like our, I'm in there. Our brains yeah. just work I'm differently. Yes, the way yeah, the way we think about going about that because we have a clear division on the farm of who's primarily in charge of what. And so we don't often like, it's like, okay, I'm gonna ask Ben what to do here because this is like his realm or vice versa. But, oh Where man. I do projects. Um, mm -hmm. Maggie does the routine, Maggie does seeds, Maggie does. Um, crop planning. Crop planning, a lot of spreadsheeting. Dealing with uh, customers. Orders, yeah, customer orders. service. Mm -hmm. Ben is primarily, I used to do all the tractor work our first two years, or almost all of it, but Ben is now like primarily tractor work, so he's more often like day-to-day -day management and like irrigation, you're primarily irrigation. So. But you do like to go to, what was the thing that you like to do, that one thing that you like to go to the, you like to cold call people. Oh yeah, oh, I like yeah. to be the <laughs> Oh, are we, are we on right now? Or yeah. are we oh, okay, okay, I would oh, have yeah. talked more, better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to introduce ourselves to florists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why do you like that? Why is that specifically something that you just dig, you know? Well, I think that um, it's complicated, but I think that holding... It's like the flowers kind of sell themselves, so I can just go along for the ride. Like, here, look at these yeah. flowers that we grew, and also we're, flower, we're a local flower farm. And it's just hard to... Um, it's hard to get a bad reaction. Yeah. Um, with with the uh, I don't know description of who we are and what we do. Yeah, so Ben is really good at the fifteen second elevator speech, but not very good at improvisational conversational <laughs> skills. So you're loving this, right, right now, yeah, Ben? I'm not, I'm not yeah. good at talking. <laughs> so, and I actually really enjoy. I mean, sometimes I don't like the amount of driving around I do lately, but I really enjoy getting to know our customers you know we have some florists who've been buying from us for several years now and then some new ones as well but i really like, like popping in i like the relationship and each place that we sell to has like such a different vibe depending on who they're you know where they are and what their customer base is and what yeah. their style is so it's just fun for me to just pop into all these little mini worlds throughout my day and I like seeing where our, where our flowers are going, and I, yeah, I just really, I really enjoy. I hate, I hate walking into a stranger's place of work and presenting myself to sell them something. Mm. That's extremely awkward for me. So I, it's fine for me that Ben likes doing that because yeah, yeah. I enjoy then the relationship building that comes afterwards. Yeah, that is good though. That that sort of talks about like what you know the dichotomy between a couple that's running a farm. What if you guys both like to do the same things, you know? That'd be, like, hard to do. That's bad. That'd be really yeah. bad. That's really bad. Yeah. Like, I think, even if that's the case, I think you've got to... It's like a... Well, I don't know, like a divorce settlement or something. Like, you've got to figure out... you got to split which roles you're going to have, right? Like, yeah. you've got to have a division of labor because if... And how did somebody... Um, some. Uh, a farm I worked for in the past described it as an ultimate decision maker. Mm -hmm. Like on every subject, you've got to know who the ultimate decision maker is, mm. because otherwise conflict is inevitable. Like you're gonna, yeah, you're not the same person. You're gonna have disagreements. Mm -hmm. so. There's got to be so, yeah. That 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 that's like the concept is that, you know, in each realm, somebody has. 
the uh, the ultimate decision in that realm, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Otherwise, and like we were talking about, we were just listing kind of the areas that are more his versus more mine. But even on like kind of the areas that aren't specifically like predetermined or listed, if we go into a certain situation, it's just obvious to us who's going to be in charge and who's not. Um, and we've never really, other than the tape measure With the exception thing, of tape measure. Yeah, yeah tape measure problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we're both out there with it, <laughs> the same tape measure, we're going to be yelling at yeah. each other. Well, okay, now reenact how that would go. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're shouting for one thing. Like, we've got 100-foot tape measures, yeah. so we're like 100 feet away from each other shouting, like, you go this way. No, you go this way. I got the flag in the ground over here. Oh, shit, man. Yeah. That is so funny. Yeah. And then why one of us that, ultimately why? storms off. Like, one of us will say, you know... <laughs> Do it yourself. <laughs> Take your tape measure. Take yeah. Your butt. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's it's in turn, and we have such we have obviously different personality types and different skill sets. So there's just not a whole lot of a lot of conflict over who's going to take charge in given situations because we enjoy doing such different things, and we're our skill sets just I mean they overlap to a certain degree, but they're very different. So it just kind of comes naturally. Well, I think on that note, I think we are done. It is six o'clock. Cool. So it's time to be done. I really appreciate you guys coming out. Thanks, Drew. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. And we will continue this conversation at a later date. <laughs>